Hey, grab a Bible. We're going to be uh, more or less in the Gospel of Luke today. So turn over to the Gospel of Luke. We'll start in chapter 2. And as you're turning there, today is Awana Family Sunday. It's our Awana Games. I want to recognize our Awana leader, Amy Reed. Amy, wave your hand. Let's give Amy a big hand. Amy works very hard. She's got an able team with Mary Ann, Joyce Bennett, uh, many others. I know um, Katie Varela leads Cubbies, Colleen Varela leads Sparkies, Terrell and Heather lead TNT, and there are so many others uh, that contribute uh, to the work at Awana, and we are grateful to all of you. You're making an investment in the lives of these children. And today I wanted to talk a little bit about the family. Today we celebrate a ministry uh, that is, is a lot of fun. There are great games, there are great activities, but it's also a ministry that, that really emphasizes God's Word. Memorizing Scripture. Going to church. It is a family ministry. And I appreciate how the curriculum in Awana interweaves the importance of having a family devoted to Christ and to the Gospel ministry. And it reminds even the children of unsaved parents that they have a family here. Christian brothers and sisters right here in the church. And I think if there's one thing that our church, Coast, does exceptionally well, it is to emphasize the family aspect of the Christian faith. That we're all brothers and sisters in the Lord. That we treat each other as a family ought to. That we give respect to to older men as fathers. That we give respect to older women as mothers and caring mentors that we love and train our children in the spirit and admonition of the Lord. The Bible has has a lot to say about the family, and it speaks highly of the love that we are to have within our family, to respect one another, to treat one another with kindness and with deference. But Jesus also puts great demands on a family. And as you read the Gospels, as you read what Jesus says about the family, it's actually striking how firm He is about what the family ought to be. And so the title of my message today, in the spirit of what Christ has said in the Gospels, is A Kingdom-Ready Family. A Kingdom-Ready Family. We're going to be going through selections of the Gospels today, especially the Gospel of Luke. But today we're going to learn that Jesus is calling us Uh, those of us who are married now with children, those of us who are single and maybe might get married one day, and even those of us who are grandparents and looking back over the course of our life, He wants us all, brothers and sisters in the Lord, to be kingdom-ready people, to be a kingdom-ready family. So turn over to the Gospel of Luke, beginning in chapter 2, and I want to look briefly at what Jesus said as a young boy about family. Notice what it says in Luke 2, beginning in verse 46. This is when Jesus was a young boy. And so it was that after three days, they, meaning Joseph and Mary, they found Jesus in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard Jesus as a boy, they were astonished at His understanding and His answers. And so when they saw Him, They were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Because he had been lost. 
Look, your father and I have, have sought you anxiously. And Jesus said to his mother and father, He said, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which Jesus spoke to them. From childhood, it baffled Jesus as a young boy why his family would think it strange that he was there in the temple teaching and interacting with the teachers of the law, doing the work of God. It baffled him. He wondered aloud, where else did you think I'd be? As Jesus became a man, he came to learn a little bit more about the families in Israel, about how few of them had put a premium on the work of the Lord, on the work of spreading the news of Yahweh the Messiah. He realized as he grew older and older and became more aware of the state of his people, the Jews, he became aware of the fact that few of them, few of the families, were really readying themselves for the work of God. Priorities were awry. Jewish families of Jesus' day were too focused on other things, on meaningless things. And so Jesus began as an adult to offer harsher and harsher and harsher rebuke of the family in first century Israel. Turn over to Luke chapter 14 and notice the firm tone with which Jesus speaks about the family beginning in verse 25. Now great multitudes went with Jesus and He turned and He said to them, if anyone comes to Me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. But And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, those are strong words. We read them you know, just from an English perspective and we think, my goodness, what could the Lord possibly be saying here? Is He really advocating that we're supposed to hate our, our family? What does He mean by this? Well, thankfully, the Gospel of Matthew really clarifies a little bit of what Jesus was intending by this statement. And in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13, we have another statement from Jesus. Look what it says. It says this is Jesus speaking. He says, He who loves father or mother more than Me is not worthy of Me. And he who loves son or daughter more than Me is not worthy of Me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after Me is not worthy of Me. He who finds his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for My sake will find it. Jesus did not teach that we should hate our family. Of course He didn't. What He meant in the Gospel of Luke portion that you see above is clarified there in the Gospel of Matthew. That in comparison to our devotion to God, our devotion to anyone else is to be inferior. That includes our own spouse. That includes our own children. Our own brothers. Our own sisters. Our own family. In comparison to our love and commitment and devotion to Christ, everything else comes second. And that is why He used such strong tone in Luke. Because as He looked around, the first century makeup in 
Israel. He found people more devoted to other things and not to the kingdom of God. Jesus certainly did not teach that we should hate our family. Instead, He said, look, when you compare your devotion to your spouse or to your children or to another person or to your work or to a task at hand, all of those things, people, tasks, priorities, should take a back seat to your commitment to Me. The families of Israel, though, had become preoccupied with things that did not matter. Things like sacrifice and duty were being ignored. The work of God was being put off. The families of Israel were being distracted. And I ask you the simple question, is your family distracted? Is your family preoccupied with things that don't matter? The picture behind me, I, I believe, has, uh, has a pretty unique environment, right? Is, does, it look, um, does it look familiar? <laughs> you, you've got dad there on the laptop. You've got mom there feeding the baby and also checking her iPhone. And then you've got the other daughter who looks like she's on like an eye touch or a, you know, playing a game. Are we distracted in this culture? Of course we are. Are we distracted by electronics, by media? So many things. We, I, I, we could list a thousand things that divert our eyes from what we ought to be focused on. I mean, this is, this is a good family time in South Orange County, right? No. Far from it. Well, you might be saying, well, well, what is the solution then? You know, what, what's the solution? I know Jesus says to love Him more than all others, to be devoted to Him above all else, to not have these distractions, to put Him above all else. But how does that work when I have a wife? How does that work when I have a husband? How does that work when I have kids? When I have, I have obligations, do I not? I have limitations, do I not? I have a family now. I have a family now. So, what does it mean for me to not be distracted by so many things in my life? I have limitations, don't I? And you know, really, the Apostle Paul says, yes, you do have limitations. You do have limitations. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians 7. He says, he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. She who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Yeah, you have limitations. Those of you who are married have a family. Interestingly enough, he says to those who are single in that whole section of 1 Corinthians 7, he says you're better off right now. You're single. You can be singularly focused on the Lord and the work of the ministry. He says praise God for that. In fact, in many ways, throughout 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says it's better if you're able. It's better to remain in your singleness. And to devote yourself fully to the work of the Lord. To not, be, to not have the earthly distractions uh, that come with being married, having children, etc. Of course, he also says it's good to marry. It's good to have a family. Jesus commends marriage. He commends having children. But he says, you know, both groups, whether you're single, and if you want to remain that way, so be it. Commit yourself fully to the work of the Lord. But even if you get married and have a family... Yeah, you've got, you've got limitations. The Lord wants you to fulfill certain things. 
He says to, to men in 1 Timothy 5.8, He says, men, provide for your family. If you don't, He says, you're, you're, it's like you're denying the faith. You're worse than an unbeliever. He says, work hard, husbands, fathers. Work hard to provide for your family. He says to, to women throughout Scripture, He says, work hard in your home. Work hard with your children. The Proverbs 31 woman, we read about that woman, we think what an admirable woman. Here's a woman who not only cares for her husband, not only cares for the home, cares for her children, and she went on off and, and even took a second job in Proverbs 31 to bring in a little extra for the family. Just a remarkable woman. I know so many of the women here in this church who are doing that very thing. It's not easy being a mom, taking care of husband, kids, trying to have a little second job off to the side. These are limitations on us. We know that. It's just reality. But what else must I do then to demonstrate to the Lord that I'm committed to Him? What else must I do to demonstrate my devotion to God if I have all these limitations, if I have all these things that I already have to do? What else as a family man, as a family woman, what else must I do? Jesus says, I want you to be kingdom ready. I want you to be kingdom ready. Prepared to do the work of the kingdom whenever the opportunity presents itself. Jesus says, and I put this on our handout behind us, or our handout on the next page. Jesus says on the backside, but you put your family first by reminding them of what is first. Seek first the kingdom of God. You know, we always say, well, I have to put my family first. I have to put my family first. Jesus says, you put your family first by reminding them of what is first. The kingdom of God. As I, as I grew up in, the, in, in seminary, in, going to Bible school and seminary and learning about how to be a pastor, they were constantly just pounding it in my head over and over again, put your family first, put your family first, put your family first. And the reason they were doing that when I was in Bible school and seminary was because the pastors that had come before me in the 50s and the 60s, they had found that many of those pastors in the generation past had often neglected their families. They had often committed to the work of the ministry, committed to pulpit ministry, committed to preaching the Word, but it was often found that in a pastor's family a generation ago, the wife and kids were very neglected while the church was very attended to. And that happens today, too. Many pastors can get uh, very uh, focused, so focused on the work of the ministry that their wife and kids just fall to the wayside. And so in Bible school and in seminary, I was always told, make sure your family comes first. Because without them, you know, your church doesn't matter how well your church is doing. Your family comes first, they said. Well, I, I, I'm, I've been wrestling with all these perspectives here now. Okay, is my family first or is the church first? Is my family first or does the church come first? And I'm thinking, you know, the first priority, if I'm going to teach my family the highest uh, good, the highest truth, it is that my family and I and the church and all of us would seek first the kingdom of God. That's what's first. What is first is to seek the kingdom of God. Putting my family first means 
that I will constantly be reminding my family that we are a family devoted to the kingdom of God. Sold out for the Lord, for the work of His ministry. And that doesn't mean that we neglect our family. It just means we take our family with us into the work of the ministry. That we bring our family along. When, I come, when we come to Awana and I see mom and dad and the kids, it's amazing. You know? To see, to see mom and dad serving side by side in many contexts here in Awana. To see the children coming along. That's putting things in perspective. That's neither putting the family first or the church first. That's what it ought to be. But priorities sometimes go awry in the Scriptures. We know the story in Luke 18. You can turn over to Luke 18 and we, we see the story of the rich young ruler. And he had some priorities that went awry. He was told by Jesus, he said, uh, Jesus, he said, Jesus, what must I do? And Jesus told him what he had to do. Sell all your possessions and come and follow me. And the man walked away sorrowful. He walked away sad because he was so focused on his money Maybe so focused on, you know, enjoying his money and enjoying his free time and his vacations and, and all of that. And Jesus realized that this man walked away not able to become his disciple because he was so distracted. He had the wrong priorities. Well, it's interesting what Peter says after that encounter with the rich young ruler. In Luke 18, verse 28, Peter relates it, and he relates it, by the way, to family. Notice what he says in verse 28. Then Peter said, See, Lord, we've left all and followed You. And Jesus said to him, knowing exactly what Peter meant by that, He said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. When Peter said, we've left all, Lord, he was implying, you know, what do we get out of this? If the rich young ruler didn't leave all, didn't leave all his priorities to follow you, well, Lord, we're doing that. We've left all. What's in it for us? Peter was married. He had a wife. Not only that, but Peter was a brave man. Because you see, in Matthew 8, we learn that he lived with his mother-in-law. Very brave. And I know every man in this church would do the same. When Peter said, we've left all, what did he mean? Did he mean, I've, I've left my wife and my mother-in-law to follow you, Lord? What do I get for it? Is that what he meant? Did he really, was he really saying to Jesus, I've abandoned my family, so what do I get out of it? Is that, is that what he meant? It's interesting how Jesus responds as if he meant that. Because Jesus' response is, truly I say to you, there's no one who's left house, or parents, or brothers, or wife, or children, for the sake of the kingdom of God, who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. Did Peter, was Peter really implying, hey, I've abandoned my family, so what do I get out of it? 
Is that what he meant? You know, the Gospels indicate that Peter's home was actually frequently, frequently used as a base of operations for the disciples in Capernaum. On the, on the north side of Galilee there, the, the Sea of Galilee, Peter's home was used as a base of operation. Jesus and the men, they met frequently in that vicinity. And it's quite likely that they stayed there often to recoup, to plan vision, to pray together, to prepare for the work of the ministry throughout Galilee and Judea. The point is, when Peter said, see, we've left all and followed you, he did not mean, Lord, look, I've abandoned my wife and mother-in-law. That's not what he meant. That's not what he meant. Because just the opposite was true. They were actually frequently going in and out of the house in Capernaum throughout the Gospels. Instead, Peter was implying that he had reoriented his family's perspective of the things that really mattered. What really mattered wasn't a nice home on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. What really mattered wasn't a robust fishing business that Peter had that, by the way, probably put Peter in the middle to mid-upper class in Galilee. What really mattered wasn't having lots of free time with his family or hanging out with his brother Andrew. What really mattered to Peter and to the disciples was that Jesus the Messiah had come to earth and without Him, we've got nothing. When Jesus first met Simon Peter, He walked into the house and Peter's mother-in-law was sick. She had a fever. And Jesus came in and He laid hands on her and He healed her. Then Jesus proceeded to heal everyone in the village. They brought in people who were demon-possessed and He healed them. They brought in the sick and He healed them. And in the morning, when Peter woke up after this magnificent day of healing, Peter woke up and he walked out and he realized the Lord wasn't in his home, so he walked outside and he went looking for Him. And this is what he said when he found Him. Then Peter said, excuse me, Mark 1, and Simon, Simon Peter, and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. Jesus, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come. Peter wanted Jesus at that moment to return to his house. Come back to my house to my place, to my town, to bless my friends, to bless my family, my people. And Jesus says, my task is so much greater than just your home, Peter. You said it yourself, Peter. Everyone is looking for me. And so we must go and tell the good news that all might hear and believe and be saved. And that, friends, that was the the moment for Peter. That was the the crux moment in his life. The watershed moment. Peter, at that point in time, could have gone back to his house. Could have gone back to life as usual. He could have also given any number, any number of excuses right at that moment. We see them throughout the Gospels. How about this excuse in Luke chapter 9? You've heard it before. Then Jesus said to another, Follow me! But the man said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. It wasn't that this man's father was dead. 
He wasn't. This man's words would have been understood to mean, Lord, my father is old. He's getting older. Let me wait a few years, Lord. Let me wait a few years until my father dies and then I will come and do the work of the kingdom. Then I'll devote my life to you. And Jesus says, if that's your perspective, then you'll still be putting off my kingdom's work far beyond the death of your father. There'll be another excuse around the bend. Then there was another one who had another excuse just after this. Continuing on in verse 61. And another said, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go and bid them farewell, those who were in my house. And Jesus said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. And it wasn't, it wasn't that this man just wanted to go home and say goodbye. That's not what's implied here. This man's words would have been heard by Jesus something like this. Lord, let me get my things in order. Let me get my house in order. Let me go home and, and, and sit down with my wife and my kids and explain to them, well, you see, I, I have to follow this man. Uh, I have to go for a while. And I have to do the work of the ministry. Um, I, I hope you don't mind. I, I, need, I need to go follow this man. Would you, would you please give me your blessing and let me go? Let me get my house in order, Jesus. Let me go speak to my wife. Let me go speak to my children. And let me try to justify to them why I need to do what I'm going to do. And Jesus says, you know, if you spend ample time, if you have to spend ample time justifying to your family why you serve the Lord, then you will always be greatly delayed in putting off the work of the kingdom. If you have to spend time justifying why you're putting a premium on the things of God, then you will forever be delayed in doing the work of the ministry. It's interesting the, the, the imagery that Jesus uses here. He says, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. So he's using farming imagery, is he not? He's saying, if you're going to take that plow and start to plow the field, he says, you can't look back. You can't turn around at that point. See, in springtime, in early springtime, a farmer must plow his field in preparation for the planting of seed. But if, if at the time of the plowing season, if at that time the farmer's wife and children become bitter, if they grow resentful of the time that it takes the farmer to prepare his field for growth, then that farmer would be at a crossroads, wouldn't he? He could, knowing the, the bitterness and the resentment of his family, he could just plow forward, ignoring the complaints of his family. And in doing so, he would probably engender even more bitterness, even more resentment. 
Or, or he could stop what he's doing, he could turn back, he could go home for a time and make his case to the family about just how important it is that he plow the field, that it might be ready for planting. But in the time it would take him to justify it and to explain it to his wife and kids, it could be that as he got back to the plowing, it would be too late. That the seeds would be planted too late. And that when the harvest came, there would be nothing left to harvest. So Jesus is implying here that a wise farmer considers a third option. He doesn't just plow forward knowing that he's engendering more bitterness and resentment. That's not what Jesus is intending. Nor does Jesus want us to stop plowing and run back and spend ample time explaining and justifying and getting things right so that we can go back and now it's too late. Jesus says, no, a wise farmer would consider a third option. In winter, in winter, when all is quiet, a wise farmer will begin to gently remind his family, his wife, his children, that springtime is coming. That soon dad will need to put in some extra work of plowing to ensure that the family has a successful harvest. A wise farmer will prepare his family for a coming time of absence. A coming time of sacrifice. And when the time comes... For absence, for sacrifice, a wise farmer's family will be ready to cope with their father's absence because he started the conversation in winter. On your outline there, a farmer's family must speak about readiness in the idleness of winter to yield much fruit come spring. If that conversation happens in springtime, it will be too late. And the family will grow bitter and resentful that, well now, he's off. He's working. He has no time for us. Because the the farmer hasn't prepared them for the plowing of spring. If he has to go back and justify it in the springtime, it will be too late to return to the field and plant the seeds. But a wise farmer, he starts that conversation in winter when all is quiet, when not much is happening. When you look around and you think, okay, what's our family doing? Where are we going? What's our vision? What's our our goal? Do we have any goals? In that time of winter, in that time of idleness, there are some families who start having a conversation about coming sacrifice. Coming opportunity to serve the Lord. What will it be? What will it look like? And that family that has that conversation in the winter time will be ready in the springtime when those opportunities present themselves. Jesus says, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. No one. Early on in our marriage, uh, I, would leave, I would leave for three or four weeks at a time. I was in a mission organization called Guidelines, and I would travel uh, to the Philippines, uh, to Russia, to uh, China, um, different parts of the world, and I would be gone three or four weeks at a time. And man, was it painful for both of us, Casey and I both. We were newly married. We didn't have kids yet. It was so, so painful to leave and to travel, even though I was 
I had springtime work, if you will. I was planting the seed of the, of the Word of God. I was preaching. I was teaching. I was having great opportunity to encourage the church all over the world. But it was hard on us as a young couple. And in the weeks prior to those long trips that I would take, in the weeks prior to those trips, we would speak openly and freely about our fears, our concerns, our frustrations. We knew it wasn't going to be easy. And those conversations were at times very difficult. At times they were conversations like, are we sure we're doing the right thing? Are we sure that this is, this is good and healthy for us to be gone for so long? They were hard conversations to have as a young married couple. But you know, those conversations prepared us. They prepared us for my absence. They prepared us for the good work that God wanted to do through me on the mission field. And it was those many conversations that we had in the idleness of winter when all was quiet, when we were together, when I wasn't away. It was those conversations in the idleness of winter that prepared us for the harvest that was coming though it was a difficult harvest. It was not an easy time to leave one another. But we knew in talking about it that this was what it looked like for us to seek first the kingdom of God. And it kept my wife from bitterness and resentment that we had those conversations here and that I didn't just wave goodbye on the day that we departed. It helped our marriage thrive in those moments, even though there was no such thing as Skype to see each other on the computer. Friends, God, God puts a premium on marriage. He puts a premium on children. He puts a premium on devotion and love between a husband, between a wife, between a father and a mother with their children. Yeah, He puts a premium on all of it. He loves the family. But He also puts a premium on a family that readies themselves for great works of God. Jesus is looking to use men who have prepared their families for sacrifice. Jesus is looking to use women who have instructed their children that God's work takes precedence in our family. Jesus is looking to even use children who turn to their parents and say, I want to be a missionary one day. And some parents respond, wait a minute. How is your family reacting to those opportunities? When dad has an opportunity to serve the Lord in a mighty way, when mom has an opportunity to serve the Lord in a mighty way, even when the children say, my son Bennett, he's already saying, dad, when can I go to Haiti? My initial reaction is, never. You're not going. I don't want you to go. It's dangerous. You could get a disease there. You don't know what's over there. But you know what? Who am I? This is about the kingdom. My son. My love for my son. I, I love him with all my heart. But you know what? He's the Lord's. He's not mine. If he wants to go to Haiti, I'll take him. Got to be a little older though. Jesus is looking for families that have the conversation in winter. Ahead of time. That maybe, just maybe, we're going to be called to a great work Maybe dad's going to go on a mission trip to Haiti. 
Maybe mom is going to go up to Camp Allendale and be gone for a week, a two weeks, counseling young girls who have been abused. When the day comes, will we be ready? Will our family be ready? Or will we be on the plow and realize, I didn't have that conversation. Uh-oh. Now the wife is a little bitter and resentful. Now my husband's a little bitter and resentful that I'm doing the work of the ministry. It's funny. <laughs> you know, mops, man. Mops is only, uh, what, one night, one night every two weeks? And I'll tell you, I know this because I, I know the dads and I know me. It's only one night a, 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 every two weeks that, that Mops meets over at the fireside room. And I know all the dads, including myself, it's only a couple hours to watch the kids. And yet by the end of it, we're like, oh, honey, I'm so glad you're home. That was such a sacrifice. Oh, honey, you can, I mean, I just don't think you can go to Mops anymore, you know. It was a little too hard putting the kids to bed. Really, guys, is that the sacrifice that you're making to let your wife be spiritually fed? I want to see you make a greater sacrifice. How about the women of this church going to Haiti? How about the women of this church going to Camp Allendale? How about the women of this church going down to birth choice and mentoring moms who are considering abortion and reminding them that that life within them is precious? If we're going to be kingdom-minded families, kingdom-ready, then we have those conversations in winter, not when the plow, the plowing season is already upon us. Of course, the unknown is scary. I know that. We might well think, well, what sacrifice am I going to have to give? I don't know. I don't know what it will look like. It might mean... Something serious. It might mean, might mean something an extended absence, traveling to a distant land. I don't know what the Spirit of the Lord is going to put upon your heart, upon your family's heart. It might mean even a dangerous and hostile situation that a husband enters to do the work of the Lord. That's the... That's the thing about the gospel work is that it comes in all shapes and sizes. God's Spirit prompts us to do different things, to travel to different places, to serve different people. But you needn't fret. You needn't fret over where God might take you. But rather just ask yourself, is my family ready? Are we ready? And you might be surprised because God, He knows your fears he knows your limitations. And if you'll just be ready, He'll give you something that's perfect. Just perfect. Turn over to John 19. John 19, Jesus is dying on the cross. And uh, He had a, a task that He wanted to give one family. It wasn't traveling to a distant land. It wasn't going up to mentor to abused you know, girls and boys. It wasn't even dangerous. It wasn't even hostile. But it was a, a great task. And look what he says in verse 25 of chapter 19. 
Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, John, standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, John, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took Mary to his own home. I want you to look after my mom, Jesus said to John. I want you to care for her. I want you to provide for her. I want you to see to it that she has everything she needs. Mary was not John's birth mother. In fact, John had quite a spitfire of a mother. Old Lady Zebedee was, uh, was a crazy lady. She had the gall to ask Jesus that her son John and James sit on the right and left hand of the Father in heaven. So John's mom was uh, quite a handful. But John had been good to his mother, and Jesus had taken note of that. He had put a premium on his family. Jesus had taken note of that. And so Jesus called John to care for another mother, his mother, Mary of Nazareth. And just... Um, just two days ago, I was um, impressed to learn that a family in this church has opened up their home uh, to care for an elderly man. And it, it shocked me when I heard it. Um, like the family in our church, I'll leave them nameless, uh, has decided to open up their home to an older man who's got nothing. He's got, he's little, um, he's got uh, some challenges in his life. And he needed a place to stay, he needed a roof over his head, he needed food on the plate. And a family in this church opened up their house to him. And I thought to myself, that's kingdom ready. That's kingdom ready. It doesn't always mean an extended absence. It doesn't always mean traveling to a distant land. It doesn't always mean a dangerous and hostile environment. Sometimes it's close to home. He knows your, God knows your limitations. He knows what you can handle. And all He wants you to do is be ready. Would your family be ready to do something as simple as even opening up your home? Start the conversation now, in winter, about being kingdom ready. As a family, commit to being ready for whatever God has. To open your eyes to see what God might be calling your family to do. And when springtime comes you'll be ready to act. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for how firm You are, actually, with families in the Gospels. Lord, You call families to account for the fact that we often are too focused inwardly on ourselves, on family time, on vacations, on loving and caring for our family, but nevertheless, just always looking inward and never looking out. Father, we know that You love the marriage relationship. We know that You love children in a home. We know that You bless that institution and that You desire for it to succeed. But Lord, success, we're learning, is kingdom readiness. Success is a husband and wife that look at each other and say, 
at times, we will part for a time so that we can do great works of God. And when we come back together, we'll rejoice. We won't be bitter. We won't be resentful. We'll be excited for what You're doing in and through us. Lord, You've called our families to be kingdom ready, to put the priority of the kingdom of God above all else. May the families of Coast Bible Church be kingdom ready. We don't know what's coming. We don't know what You're going to ask Dad to do. We don't know what You're going to ask Mom to do. We don't know what You're going to ask our children to do. But God, we want to be ready, open, having those conversations in winter about sacrifice that when springtime comes, we'll be ready to reap a harvest. Keep us ready, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen.